So here with uh, chapter 8, we pick up in Daniel. Hopefully you've had time to watch chapter 7. This is just a brief mini-series of me covering the prophecies we find in chapters 7 through 12 of the book of Daniel as they relate to both the Olivet Discourse and to Revelation and the coming uh, prophecy to be fulfilled both in the life of Christ um, and for Daniel all in his future and also the things that precede the life of Christ. So chapter 8, verse 1, says, In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, and after the one that had appeared to me previously. So this is another vision he's speaking of that's uh, unique and different from the vision that we just thoroughly discussed and um, talked through in in chapter 7. So chapter 8, verse 2, Daniel says, In this vision, I saw myself in Susa, um, the citadel, which is located in the province of Elam. In the vision, I saw myself at the Ulai Canal. uh, or canal. Um, I looked up and saw a ram with two horns standing at the canal. Its two horns were both long, but one was longer than the other. The longer one was coming up after the shorter one. I saw that the ram was budding westward, northward, and southward. No animal was able to stand before it, and there was none who could deliver from its power. It did as it pleased and acted arrogantly. So as we spoke of earlier, um, Daniel's vision occurred about as I said in chapter 7, the 500s BC, 551 BC, the ram represents uh, Darius and the rule of the Medes and Persians, or I like to call it the Persian Empire. That's how I know it. Uh, maybe you know that most clearly, uh, which ended with the death of Belshazzar in 538 BC or BCE. The male goat, as we just read, represents the conquest of the Greeks up until the time of the Romans about 64 BC. So that's what we're speaking of when we speak here of this uh, apocalyptic uh, visionary dream, the interpretation of the dream of this this ram and this goat is of Darius and of the Greeks and of the Romans, as we've been talking about. So um, it picks up with verse 5. Daniel says, while I was contemplating all this, a male goat Uh, was coming from the west over the surface of all the land without touching the ground. This goat had a conspicuous horn between its eyes. Again, already spoke of this as being Alexander the Great with the Greece Empire. And so I explained that um, the the most likely interpretation of his feet not touching the ground is... um, in prophecy or prediction of the rapid pace at which Alexander the Great conquered the known world um, in such a short amount of time with such authority. Um, Again, we pick up uh, with verse 6. It came to the two-horned ram. So you got a goat, you got a ram. Uh, The ram has two big horns, one's longer than the other. This goat takes off running, smacks right into it. Um, It says it came to the two-horned ram that I had seen standing beside the canal and rushed against it with raging strength. 
Um, so this is speaking of Alexander the Great or Greece as far as conquering the Persians. So again, if you're, you're tracking with me, we've got four beasts, as we discussed in chapter 7. We've got the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire. And so we had prophecies. Now this is a separate prophecy speaking specifically to the middle two empires, which is that of the Greeks and the Persians. So the ram, as we've seen here, is the standing ruling reigning empire, which is, um, again, if I already said it, the ram, and this other goat, which is Alexander the Great, or, um, or the Greek empire, is running up and attacking to destroy it. So it went into a fit of rage against the ram and struck it and broke off its two horns, right? Symbolic of its power and its, its uh, authority. The ram had no ability to resist it. The goat, the Greek empire, hurled the ram to the ground and trampled it. No one could deliver the ram from its power. The male goat acted even more arrogantly. But no sooner had the large horn become strong than it was broken, and there arose four conspicuous horns in its place, extending toward the four winds of the sky. Again, we've already spoken of this in Daniel chapter 7, and here we get a, a separate vision dream speaking of the same truths. So in the previous chapter, we saw where this um, third beast was explained of having three heads. Here, it's explained um, of having a large horn, which would be Alexander the Great, and this uh, large horn breaking off. And then there arose four horns, or four generals, four rulers under Alexander the Great, in its place, extending toward the four uh, winds of the sky. I uh, just wanted to read from my notes. When Alexander's rule was broken, he was only 33 years old. This is very young uh, to have conquered the world. Uh, his four generals divided up his empire among themselves. Uh, Ptolemy I in Egypt, Seleucus uh, I in Asia, uh, Lysimachus uh, in Asia Minor, and Cassander in Macedonia. The strong horn from verse 9 is represented through... Uh, Antiochus IV Epiphanes. You need to remember him. He's going to be so important for understanding the Olivet Discourse, for understanding Daniel, for understanding Maccabees, um, and the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecies. So remember um, Antiochus Epiphanes or Antiochus IV, uh, who took the uh, Seleucid kingdom in 175 BC. He put an end to temple sacrifice and set up a statue of Jupiter or Zeus, depending on whether you go by the Greeks or the Romans' view of that god, in the holy temple in Jerusalem. So this is the second abomination of desolation we're going to get to in uh, the teaching through the prophecies of Daniel. We're not there yet, but I'm, I'm telling you ahead so you get an idea. So when we get there, you see it more clearly. So this male goat is the Greeks. It is Alexander the Great. This big horn is Alexander the Great. So to be very specific, the male goat is representative of Greece or the Greeks. And the big uh, strong horn, that's arrogant, is speaking of Alexander. And it says, but no sooner had the large horn become strong than it was broken, there rose four. So again, 
Alexander, literally, if you read history, by the second he conquered the world, he died. If I remember correctly, it was by poisoning in his tent. I don't remember, so uh, fact check me on that. But he died young, and he died quickly. Um, and, and this is all prophesied, guys. This is prophesied um, hundreds of years before it took place. The, the degree and the um, exactness with almost like a surgeon's scalpel to which the, uh, the Bible interprets the future is insane. It's insane. Um, God's accuracy for history, it's almost like he knows everything. And of course, if you watch this channel regularly, uh, you know that that's what we believe here. So this is phenomenal. This is beautiful. This is faith bolstering. Um, quite crazy. So um, this big strong horn is broken off um, just about as soon as it had become strong. Four conspicuous horns, the four generals take its place as we just spoke of, uh, specifically in history who they were, um, extending toward the four winds of the sky. Um, chapter 8, verse 9, we pick up, From one of them came a small horn, but it grew to be very big toward the south and the east and toward uh, the beautiful land. It then says in uh, verse 10, it grew so big, it reached the army of heaven and it brought about the fall of some of the army and some of the stars to the ground where it trampled them. So I've got a few um, interpretive helps and tips that I'm going to give you uh, for these next few verses, which are rooted in Old Testament worldview. So I'm going to read uh, verse 9 through uh, 12, and then um, I'm going to explain a little bit. So from one of them came a small horn, one of these uh, conspicuous horns that takes the place of um, the four divided from Alexander the Great. From one of them came a small horn, but it grew to be very big toward the south and the east and toward the beautiful land. This helps us interpret history by knowing these specific details. Again, Antiochus, Epiphanes, um, around 170s uh, BC, verse 10, it grew so big it reached the army of heaven and it brought about the fall of some of the army and some of the stars to the ground where it trampled them. So what you need to know here is in the ancient Eastern worldview, um, you know, as uh, Timon and uh, Simba and Pumbaa are all sitting looking up at the stars and one of them says, uh, you know, I think it's Pumbaa because he's the dumb one. He says, I think they're great balls of, of fire and gas. And they laugh at him, you know. And uh, anyways, um, one of their interpretations is that it's it's the um, the great kings that went before them. The reason I bring up uh, the Lion King um, is because actually the, the Near Eastern people, and we see this throughout our Old Testament. We get this just from reading our Old Testament, but we also get this from history. Um, they saw the stars, quote unquote, as angelic beings. So whenever we see stars mentioned of, we see this um, in the book of Job, when, when the, the heavenly host or the stars of heaven rejoiced with God. Uh, we see this clearly as angels in the book of Job. We see this clearly in the book of Genesis. We see this throughout all of the Old Testament. Um, and again, as I spoke of in either chapter 7 or chapter 8, we got to go back to the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. We've got to go back to... Um, the uh, Psalm 81, Psalm 82 worldview. 
after um, I'm going to give this history lesson again, in case you don't know this. Um, in Deuteronomy, I believe it's chapter 32, verse 11. It's a commonly mistranslated verse, but what it says, matter of fact, let's, let's go to this really quickly. Um, 32, 11. Let's see. Forgive me. Um, it's actually Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. Um, I think the Bible's inspired. I'm definitely not. But here, Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. Um, this is such a vital verse to know. And it's such a vital verse to interpret rightly. So um, this is speaking. So we have creation, fall. Then we have um, the flood of the antediluvian world. After this, we have um, the Tower of Babel or Tower of Babel, um, where languages are divided up uh, in rebellion of God. That's God's judgment upon that rebellion. And after they, uh, this is Genesis chapter 11. So I just gave you a really quick synopsis of Genesis 1 through 11. Genesis 11, we have the Tower of Babel. And after their rebellion, they're not going out to make the whole world like Eden. Instead, they're gathering together to, um, some would argue, uh, with the Nimrod trying to get back at God. But um, they are building this tower. God scrambles their language. And then it says, uh, Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, forgive me, I quoted verse 11, um, but it's verse 8, when the Most High, this is God, gave the nations their inheritance, or, or what was due them, their portion of the earth, when he divided up humankind. Um, I'm I need to do a separate video on this. This is so essential that you understand this. Um, but it says, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the heavenly assembly. So to translate this into English for you, for a 21st century American, there's these ruling angelic beings that God gave over people groups to. So why in the world does Genesis chapter 12 pick up with God choosing Abraham? Well, if you understand this, it makes perfect sense because God scatters the people groups to various gods, if you will, little G gods, rulers of the world, high ranking angelic beings. He gives them over to them and God chooses for himself one people group, which is Abraham, which begets uh, Isaac, um, which begets Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel. Therefore, we get Israel, the people of God. It's from this. It's from this verse. And other verses, like again, this is in, I believe it's Psalm 81 or Psalm 82. It, these things are spoken of explicitly in the Old Testament. And so the reason I'm bringing this up is you need to see prophecy through an Old Testament lens. This wasn't written to you. It was written for you, but it was not written to you. It was written to Daniel. and It was written to the people of God. So when we see here, as we were in uh, Daniel chapter 8, we'll go there really quick. As we were just reading through and speaking of stars, this again is part of that Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8 uh, worldview. So when we're speaking of this uh, ram and we're speaking of the goat, and when we get to the verse that we were just at um, concerning verse 10, it grew so big it reached the army of heaven 
and it brought about the fall of some of the army and some of the stars, we need to know that these stars are speaking of the ruling angelic authority over the people groups. Okay. Um, the study note here in the NET, I think probably has this. Look, they have it right here. So you're not just hearing it from me. In pre-scientific Israelite thinking, the stars were associated with the angelic members of God's heavenly assembly. See Judges 5.20. Um, I'll read this for you. From the sky, the stars fought from their paths. In the heavens, they fought against Sisera. Um, again, the prince of Persia. We see this in Daniel. Uh, they also quote Job 38, which I was quoted earlier from memory. We'll now give you the explicit text. Job 38, verse 7, when the morning stars sang in chorus and all the sons of God, sons of God means angels um, or angelic beings or the watchers shouted for joy. And then Isaiah chapter 40, verse 2, uh, 26, excuse me, look up at the sky who created all these heavenly lights. He is the one who leads out their ranks. Okay, so he speaks of the stars, these heavenly lights as ranks like soldiers. He calls them all by name because of his absolute power and awesome strength. Okay, so uh, this is speaking of angels. So the reason I'm laboring this, and I hope you get this, this is explicit in Old Testament worldview. And if you know your Old Testament, you've got to see this. And if you don't, you need to see this. Revelation, and I believe it's chapter 12, um, speaks of a, a dragon hurling down some of the stars down to earth. This verse is speaking of the same thing in, in Daniel chapter 8. It grew so big, it reached the army of heaven, and it brought about the fall of some of the army and some of the stars to the ground where it trampled them. We see this explicitly taught in Revelation chapter 12. It says in verse 11 of chapter 8 of Daniel, it also acted arrogantly against the prince of the army. Uh, traditionally, um, the prince of the army of God's people is known as Michael the archangel. Um, some, some would see it um, as Jesus. Uh, this is usually where Jesus and the, the archangel Michael get mixed up, but they are two separate beings. Um, it acted arrogantly against the prince of the army I think it would be Michael, um, from whom the daily sacrifice was removed and whose sanctuary was thrown down. The army was given over along with the daily sacrifice in the course of his sinful rebellion. It hurled truth to the ground and enjoyed success. So what this is prophesying of is the Maccabean revolt. Okay, so... If, when you see Jews celebrate uh, Hanukkah around what's known for us as Christmas time, around the same month, I believe, I'm not extremely familiar with Hanukkah, but I am familiar with First and Second Maccabees, from which the tradition comes from. Um, they light this um, this uh, seven-wicked candle or eight-wicked candle, one of the two, and the reason is, according to Maccabees and according to Jewish history, they only had enough oil for one. Day, I believe, I hope I'm interpreting this tradition rightly. Forgive me, uh, my Jewish friends, if I'm not, or my Jewish scholars. Um, and he only had enough oil when he was reconsecrating the temple after they had taken it back from the Romans. Um, and um, that oil of one day lasted for seven days. But anyways, um, 
that's what the stars are speaking towards um, in this dream. And um, we'll go on to see this. Um, it acted arrogantly against the prince of the army. So against the people of God uh, who are, are um, representative um, angelically or in the heavenly realms through Michael the archangel um, from whom the daily sacrifice was removed and whose sanctuary was thrown down. The temple was sacked. It was thrown down. Um, the army was given over along with the daily sacrifice. If you read your history books or if you read First and Second Maccabees, which we'll look at in the Olivet Discourse when we go through that series, um, this prophecy, and there's more prophecy after verse 12, but it was um, completely fulfilled. And the fulfillment of this is recorded by Eusebius, an early church um, father and historian. It's also explicitly confirmed as uh, fulfilled um, in the book of Josephus, who was a devout uh, Jew and historian, which we get a lot of our records from. And um, here in Daniel, that's that's the event that's being spoken to. Um, yeah, so the army is given over along with the daily sacrifice. And again, Daniel's in a time period where the, the temple doesn't exist, but it's speaking of the, the future destruction. So we understand, we should, why Daniel's so upset. It says the color leaves his face like he's freaked out because the Dan, like Daniel is fasting for weeks and praying over the rebuilding of his temple and the angel's coming to tell him how the temple's going to be destroyed once it's built back. I mean, how, how challenging, right? But anyways, um, the army was given over along with the daily sacrifice in the course of his sinful rebellion. It hurled truth um, to the ground. Many would interpret this as the Torah. Um, uh, according to history, they would gather the books of the Torah and burn them. The Old Testament um, manuscripts, the Old Testament um, copies. And it says it hurled truth to the ground and enjoyed it uh, success. So like I said, that's, that's usually what most commentators would interpret that as speaking towards of the literal destruction of the collections of the Torah. Um, it says in verse 13, then I heard a holy one speaking. Now, this is probably speaking to an angel. Um, another holy one said to the one who is speaking, to what period of time does the vision pertain? This vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the destructive uh, act of rebellion, the literal um, interpretation is the abomination of desolation. Um but anyways, to what period of time, these angels are asking each other, and Daniel's watching, does the vision pertain, uh, this vision concerning the daily sacrifice, so when's it going to be brought to a halt, and the destructive act of rebellion, and the giving over of both the sanctuary and army to be trampled? He said to me, to 2,300 evenings, or 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be uh, put right again. So the language of evenings and mornings is reminiscent of the creation account in Genesis 1. So in Genesis 1, we see then there was evening, then there was morning, one day. Um, and we see this for all of the seven days of creation. And the equivalent of a day, the reference here would be of 2,300 days. Um, and uh, I won't get into the debate and uh, debacle. Um, I will read the rest of this. Um, Either way, the event that marked the commencement of this period, um, they say is unclear. 
the event that marked the conclusion of the period is the rededication of the temple in Jerusalem following the atrocious and sacrilegious acts that Antiochus uh, Epiphanes, as we already mentioned earlier, implemented. This took place on December 25th, uh, 165 B.C. The Jewish celebration of Hanukkah each year commemorates this victory. Um, I also left a note uh, here. Antiochus continued for approximately, um, and in parentheses I put um, possibly, precisely, it is impossible to determine, uh, 2,300 days. Um, This is from verse 14. From the first attacks upon the sanctuary uh, to his death in 164 uh, B.C., one of the world's uh, leading conservative uh, scholars, um, quote, to quote Ed Young, uh, in this year, 171 B.C., began the laying waste of the sanctuary. Um, this termination would then be the death of Antiochus in 164 um, B.C. So to show you this on a calendar, um, if we take uh, 2300 um, some split this in half, and that's clearly not what is being spoken of. An evening and a morning is a clear reference to a single day that we see uh, clearly taught from Genesis. Uh, this should be unanimously known. So we take 2,300 days, um, as is spoken of, from the beginning of the, the um, laying waste um, to um, the death. Um, so we take this ancient Jews... Counted years by uh, 360 days instead of 365 days. So we take, uh, excuse me, 2300 and we divide this uh, by 360 to get the year calculation, uh, which comes out to about 6.4. And so if this would have started around 171 BC, um, we tack on six and almost six and a half. Uh, years to this, uh, the 2300 evenings, and it lands on the end of uh, the life of Antiochus, which was around 164 um, BC. So Antiochus um, Epiphanes took the Seleucid kingdom, as we stated previously, in 175 BC, um, began the siege around uh, early 170s and put an end to temple sacrifice and set up a statue of Jupiter. You know him as Zeus in the temple, according to First and Second Maccabees, which we'll, um, we'll, we'll cover this as well uh, somewhere. i um, probably do a, a separate video or we'll cover it in the Olivet Discourse. But uh, Antiochus Epiphanes or Antiochus IV sets up uh, an altar within the Jewish temple. Um, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll go ahead and tell you. And slaughters pigs on God's altar. We know these are unclean animals. This desecrates the temple, fulfills the abomination of uh, desolation. And uh, this is one of the fulfillments of Daniel's prophecy that is recorded in First and Second Maccabees. First and Second Maccabees, again, um, to my listeners or watchers who are unfamiliar with this, um, this is called intertestamental period literature. So from 400 BC to the New Testament writings, we have some certain collections of books that are histories. Um, some 
uh, were debated whether they should, should have been added to Holy Scripture or not. Some church traditions do put some of these in their scriptures. The NRSV Bible does contain First and Second Maccabees. I think it's extremely helpful, especially, which I believe, um, these prophecies are fulfilled and recorded in First and Second Maccabees. So I, I think it's a good thing to have a collection of this writing. And so even if we don't put it in sacred scripture, it's good to have it handy and on hand and aware of uh, the content because this is fulfilled biblical prophecy. Uh, but nevertheless, um, this is the first, uh, excuse me, this is the second of, I believe, three abominations of desolations we see. Uh, the first being um, the uh, siege of Jerusalem with the Babylonian Empire, um, to which Daniel was a part of with the exile. Um, the second uh, being after the temple was rebuilt with uh, Maccabees, um, uh, rededicating it after Antiochus Epiphanes or Antiochus IV uh, slaughters a pig and, and worships Zeus in there. That was the second abomination of desolation. The third, um, I'm going to argue, takes place with the destruction of the temple. Um, that's how the early church fathers saw it. That's how I see it. That's how Josephus saw it uh, with the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. So we'll continue on with uh, Daniel chapter 8. So to what period these angels are discussing, come back with me. So Daniel is watching two angels speak to each other and they're asking about um, these preceding verses um, from this small horn, but it grew to be very big toward the south and the east and toward the beautiful land. This is Antiochus Epiphanes. It grew so big it reached the army of heaven. So Antiochus Epiphanes got so great and strong that um, it says and brought about the fall of some of the army and some of the stars to the ground where it trampled them. In other words, they even began to conquer Jerusalem, which is known as God's people. And in Old Testament um, concept of the world, this is bizarre. Like our God is fighting for us. We can conquer armies with large armies, with small armies, because God fights for us. So this is a, don't miss this as a 21st century American, the, the gravity at which what took place here. And so there's saying, this as well, and quite possibly, I would believe, the angelic realm that's also at work behind these things as um, Satan and his angels are always trying to tear down um, God's people and God's agents. Uh, it also acted arrogantly against the prince of the army, most likely Michael the archangel, from whom the sac daily sacrifice was removed and whose sanctuary was thrown down. Um, the army was given over along with the daily sacrifice. In the course of his sinful rebellion, it hurled truth to the ground and enjoyed success. Then I heard a holy one speaking. Another holy one said to the one who is speaking, to what period of time does the vision pertain? This vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the destructive act of rebellion and the giving over of both the sanctuary and the army to be trampled. Again, as we already stated, I would place this somewhere around 171 B.C., um, in the 2300 evenings being closed to about 6.4 years. And this would end with the death of Antiochus Epiphanes or Antiochus IV um, in about 165, 164 um, BC. The giving of both the sanctuary and the army to be trampled. He said to be to uh, 2300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be put right again. When the sanctuary was put right again, it's recorded 
Um, I believe if I remember first and second Maccabees well enough, that uh, Judas Maccabees, one of the sons of Matthias Maccabees, uh, was getting all the soldiers to hold off everyone. And what he did was he tore down um, those unclean stones that had had a swine blood shed on it and where Zeus was um, erected to be worshipped, he tore down those uh, false idols and likewise uh, rid the temple of those unclean stones, reestablished ceremonially clean stones, and then reinstigated this fire, which if you know your Old Testament, was supposed to be continually burning um, for the people of God. It's so important that you know your Old Testament, the Torah. Um, so you re after three... Um, after a season of this being trampled, he reinstitutes it and has taken back, I would argue, with the power of God with his small army to conquer um, these, uh, these pagans, if you will. So the Jews reconquer. Uh, Judas Maccabees reinstigates the uh, worship of Yahweh and uh, reconsecrates the temple. And the, the sanctuary is put right again after these 2,300 evenings or 6.38 years. Verse 15 of Daniel chapter 8, we pick up. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision, I sought to understand it. Now one who appeared to be a man was standing before me. Then I heard a human voice coming from between the banks of Uli. It came out, Gabriel, enable this person to understand the vision. Praise God for angels helping us understand. So he approached the place where I was standing. As he came, I felt terrified and fell flat on the ground. Then he said to me, Understand, son of man, that the vision pertains to the time of the end. So before the end of the ages, the end of the Jewish age. As he spoke with me, I fell into a trance with my face to the ground But he touched me and stood me upright. Then he said, I am going to inform you about what will happen in the latter time of wrath. For the vision pertains to the appointed time of the end. The end of the age. Now I need to make this clear. When we think of the end, when we think of the apocalypse, we think of the end of human life, the end of the cosmos. That's not at all what he's being spoken to. Now this is more clear in Revelation But again, this is also extremely clear in the book of Daniel. As we've already discussed in chapter 7 and chapter 8, there's four beasts. From the fourth beast, the Roman emperor, uh, the Roman empire, excuse me, the fourth beast, um, is to arise from that a kingdom of God where he will rule and reign and his kingdom will never end. Now this happened. His name is Jesus Christ. He came to earth, the God-man. And he established the kingdom of heaven here on earth. His first sermon was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or it is here. It has arrived. And so with the destruction of the Roman Empire, alongside of this was what had already taken place in the lifetime of Christ, which was the instigation of the kingdom of heaven. And it's so important that you know this. So when we read verse 19, Then he said, I'm going to inform you about what will happen in the latter time of wrath for the vision pertains to the appointed time of the end. It's speaking to the ending of the Jewish age. Again, in the Old Testament, the way you became a worshiper of Yahweh is you became a a devout Jew. For us, it's not that way anymore. Why? Because the end of the age happened. We're in another age now. 
Some would call it a different dispensation or because of the baggage there, I might would call it another epoch of time. And so in this epoch of time that we live in, we don't become uh, devout Jews and and follow uh, the Torah in the same way. That would be to disregard the entire New Testament and, and the fulfillment of God through Jesus Christ. So this pertains to the appointed time of the end, the end of the Jewish age. Verse 20, the ram that you saw with the two horns stands for the kings of Medea and Persia or the Persian Empire. Again, I already discussed this. Um, if you haven't uh, noticed, I've studied this deeply, trying to get this right, interpreted rightly. Verse 21, the male goat is the king of Greece and the large horn between its eyes is the first king. Many would argue this is Alexander the Great. The horn was, uh, that was broken and in whose place there arose four others stands for four kingdoms that will arise from his nation, though they will not have his strength. This clearly happened in history. Uh, we read the names of the four kings that arose after Alexander the Great previously, as I was explaining this. Toward the end of their rule, when rebellious acts are complete, a rash and deceitful king will arise. Okay? So that's verse 23 of chapter 8. It goes on to say um, in uh, verse 23, toward the end of their rule, when rebellious acts are complete, a rash and deceitful king uh, will arise. In verse 24, his power will be great, but it will not be by his strength alone. He will cause terrible destruction. He will be successful in what he undertakes. He will destroy powerful people and the people of the holy ones. Again, so this particular prophecy is, um, I believe, speaking to um, the Greek, uh, excuse me, I was going to say Greco-Roman, the Greek empire uh, conquering in many ways the customs and traditions of the Jews. Um, and, and likewise, the Greeks conquered the majority of the, the, the world, the known world, but not all of it, but a lot of it. Um, he will destroy powerful people and the people of the holy ones. Again, this is um, listed explicitly in um, Josephus's writings um, in the Antiquities of the Jews, uh, namely chapter 12 and, um, and, and following. And uh, also, um, um, he, this is spoken of in the Jewish wars. So by his treachery, he will succeed through deceit. Um, so again, this is, a, this is a particular fulfillment of prophecy we see here. I just wanted to read really briefly from the works of Josephus. I don't want to get bogged down in this series too much uh, covering it. I'll, I'll probably put the majority of this back in the uh, um, teaching through the Gospel of Mark in the Olivet Discourse. So you'll be able to find more of that there as this is not an exhaustive um, sermon series through uh, the book of Daniel, as I normally do, say, as I'm doing through the pastoral epistles or through the Gospel of Mark. Um, but instead, I'm just trying to give you some some extensive background for the Gospel of Mark. So uh, this is in uh, book 12 of the Antiquities of the Jews, uh, chapter 7. Um, when therefore the generals of Antiochus's armies had been beaten so often, Judas, uh, this is Judas Maccabees, assembled the people together and told them that after these many victories which God had given them, they ought to go up to Jerusalem and purify the temple and offer the appointed sacrifices. 
But as soon as he, with the whole multitude, was come to Jerusalem and found the temple deserted and its gates burned down and the plants growing in the temple of their own accord on account of its desertion, he and those who were with him began to lament and were quite confounded at the sight of the temple. So he chose out some of his soldiers and gave them the order to fight against those guards that were in the citadel until he should have purified the temple. When therefore he had carefully purged it and had brought in new vessels, the candlestick, the table um, of bread, and the altar of incense, which were made of gold, he hung up the veils at the gates and added doors to them. He also took down the altar of burnt offering and built a new one of stones that he gathered together and not of such as were uh, honed with iron tools. So on the five and 20th day of the month of Cheslau, I hope I said that right, uh, which the Macedonians call Apuleius, they lighted the lamps that were on the candlestick. This is where we get Hanukkah from and offered incense upon the altar um, and laid the loaves upon the table of bread and offered burnt offerings upon the new altar. And now it so fell out that these things were done on the very same day on which their divine worship had fallen off and was reduced to a profane and common use after three years' time. For so it was that the temple was made desolate um, by Antiochus and so continued for three years. This desolation happened to the temple in the 145th year on the 25th day of the month of Apuleius and on the 153rd Olympiad, but it was dedicated anew on the same day, the 25th of the month of Apuleius, in the 148th year. And on the 154th Olympiad, and this uh, desolation came to pass according to the prophecy of Daniel, which was given 408 years before, for he declared that the Macedonians would dissolve that worship um, for some time. So I just wanted to give you that reference in Maccabees, excuse me, um, concerning Judas Maccabees from uh, Josephus, Flavius Josephus in his Antiquities of the Jews. Um, so that is the prophecy concerning Daniel chapter 8, uh, verse 14, which uh, was fulfilled through um, Antiochus Epiphanes, through Judas Maccabees, um, through the war that was going on there. Um, so as we were just reading uh, through chapter 8, um, we got to the part, verse 23, toward the end of their rule when rebellious acts are complete, a rash and deceitful king will arise, his power will be great, but it will not be by his strength alone. He will cause terrible destruction. He will be successful in what he undertakes. Uh, he will destroy powerful people and the people of the holy ones by his treachery, he will succeed through deceit. He'll have an arrogant attitude, and he will destroy many who are unaware of his schemes. He'll rise up against the prince of princes, yet he will be broken apart, by not, but not by uh, human agency. Interesting. So, what the angel is explaining to Daniel is that ultimately this one who is causing destruction for the Jewish people of God, he will be... Um, the one who's um, rising up against uh, the prince of princes, um, he will be broken apart, but not by human agency. Um, the vision of the evenings and mornings that was told to you is correct, but you should seal up the vision for it refers to a time many days from now. Matter of fact, as Josephus points out, over 400 years uh, took place. 
it says in verse 27, I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick for days. Then I got up and again carried out the king's business. But I was astonished at the vision, and there was no one to explain it. Um, so we'll pick up in chapter 9 next. The uh, last thing I just want to mention here is that um, everyone saw this as fulfilled. So again, Josephus sees this as fulfilled. The early church fathers see this as fulfilled. Eusebius sees this as fulfilled. If you read commentary from the early church fathers on Daniel, they see all these things as having been fulfilled. Um, so there is prophecies regarding Christ, but don't get that mixed up. Okay, that's what I'm trying to warn you of right now at the end of this video is that um, each of these chapters, for the most part, are speaking of separate um, events or, or separate perspectives of the same event. So chapter 7 spoke of the four beasts and its culmination with the kingdom of God. Chapter 8 is mainly speaking of um, more detail that the angel reveals to Daniel concerning um, what falls during the in-between time of the two beasts, which are uh, namely Persia, the empire of Persia, and the empire of Greece, and what is to take place um, after that um, concerning the um, the conquering of God's people and then the rededicating um, of the temple. So there are more prophecies concerning Christ and concerning the end of the age that we see in Daniel chapter 9, 10, 11 and 12, but Daniel chapter 8 is most clearly seen and rightly interpreted through the Maccabees and the Maccabean revolt. So um, you need to get this correct. Don't mix this up. Don't put all this as being fulfilled in Christ because not all of it was. Now, Jesus in the Olivet Discourse is going to speak of another abomination of desolation, which takes place, he promises, in his lifetime, which will be the destruction of the temple um, and the desecration of it. Uh, by the Roman emperor, but uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. But um, know that chapter 8 of Daniel is more clearly speaking to mainly um, the Maccabean revolt, but at the end is, is uh, speaking, um, you know, as well towards the various fights and the rededication of uh, that temple um, in Judas Maccabee's time. So that's all for uh, chapter 8. Hope to see you for chapter 9. <laughs>